0: Welcome back to Software Social. This episode is sponsored by Approximated. If you need to connect custom user domains to your app, Approximated can help. It can route any domain or subdomain to any application, all easily managed with a simple API or web dashboard. You can have unlimited connected domains automatically secured with SSL certificates for one flat rate. Website builders, communities, and marketplaces all happily use Approximated every day to manage thousands of custom domains for their users. And it was built by an indie founder just like you, so every support request is handled by a developer who will personally help you out. Head over to approximated.app today and mention Software Social when you sign up to get an extra month for free. Hey, welcome back to Software Social. We have another guest with us this week. Um, I am so excited to have my friend Marie Poulon here today. She is the creator of Notion Mastery, um, which is this amazing Notion course that has um, over 1200 students averaging 45,000 MRR. um, Pretty amazing business that she has built up. Welcome to Software Social, Marie.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat.
0: So um, people listening may know you from all of your um, YouTube videos and courses with Notion. Um, which have been crazy successful in only, only since October, 2019, since you launched it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I actually want to talk about something else. Yeah. Um, So you had another business, a course business called Doki. Um, And actually the last time I spoke with like, like, like actually spoke with you, like uh, like internet friends is so funny. Like, I feel like I talk to you all the time, but actually like talk to you, talk to you. Um, it was you and your husband, Ben were, um, thinking about what to do with
1: Doki and whether you should sell it or shut it down. Yes. And you were, you very kindly reached out with some suggestions on, on how we might handle that. Um, and it, it sort of wasn't our I'll say it wasn't our passion anymore, but uh, you know, Ben got offered a full time gig. So for anybody listening, my husband and I teamed up back in 2014 to to run our company together, and we built a software and we ran it for I mean five ish years or so. And I think neither one of us was. Uh, it was definitely our first software project, and it was that uh, build a giant software project that does all of the things, and uh, d- you know kind of wishing that we had done something smaller while we learned about the whole <laughs> software building, <laughs> all of the different pieces. And so when we first went to MicroConf, that was, it was just so eye-opening how many things we had done wrong. And uh, it, was, it was a really wonderful learning experience, but I think it, it kind of showed us that there were parts of that that just, uh, I don't know that either of us was super excited to go 100% all in on it. I liked the working with people side of online courses and actually shipping and working on their websites and just all of all the other pieces of it other than the software. And so the burden was really on Ben to build all the features and do customer support. And, you know, he was pretty much like solo founder handling all of those parts of of the software. And I was handling more of the consulting side of it. And it was a huge burden on him. It was huge. Um, And so when he got offered a full-time job, it was a chance for him to, step into more of a leadership role be challenged be working with other people and it just he really flourished and I think it was something he was missing like when you're a solo founder you're just you know you're wearing every single hat you're making all the decisions and if you're bumping up against stuff you've never seen uh, it's pretty tough it's a tough life to be to be a solo founder so I was it was really encouraging of him to to kind of explore this new venture, but it sort of meant that Doki got left in the dust a little bit. And so we kind of took our foot off the gas. And uh, just in this year, in in, uh, January 2021, we decided, what if we just kind of shut down signups and and, and just kind of let it do its thing and, and just kind of keep supporting the clients that were still using it? more like our consulting clients and, and not really market it widely. And so we did. And I was like, how do you feel about this? And he's like, Oh, I feel, I feel so relieved. And I think that was really important that it, it, it didn't feel sad. It didn't feel like, Oh no, we're shutting this thing down. Like he felt like, no, this is a chapter of my life. That was great. And now it's over. It's been a journey.
0: So, I mean, on, you know, on this podcast, you know, we talk a lot about like getting, a SaaS off of the ground, or I guess, in, I guess in my case now, like getting an info product off the ground and then also running those companies. Mm-hmm. But there's this other phase of it, which is exiting. And sometimes exiting means um, selling a company or, you know, being acquired hired by someone, or it means shutting it down. And I'm wondering if you can kind of talk through that a little bit about how you guys decided to sunset it rather than sell it
1: yeah because we had gone through this conversation back and forth and, and we even had you know several people who had made offers to buy and it felt actually pretty close. Like that was something we were really seriously considering. Uh, and again, you're it was just really, really valuable to get your your insights on that and, and to have somebody that, you know, not attached to it, just kind of as an outsider giving us perspective on that. And so we we had some meetings and we definitely considered it. And I think the burden of what would have needed to happen to be able to make that handoff happen in a way such that it could actually be successful for those who were taking it over felt too big for Ben. I think it was, again, given that his attention was elsewhere, it there was just such a cognitive load associated with all of that cleanup work and just, just kind of the whole process of that transition. And it's possible that it may not have actually been that much work. It's kind of hard to know in hindsight, but I think the anticipation of that and just you know, when Ben does something, he wants to do it properly and he, he wouldn't have felt good, I think, to just kind of pass it off as is knowing how much legacy work needed to be rebuilt. And he he just didn't feel comfortable with it. And I was like, you know, I don't know this stuff as well as you do. And if you feel really confident and happy to just kind of say, you know what, we're totally cool to just like the the amount just kind of doesn't match up with, with what it would be worth to do that work. Uh, and how much extra time it would have taken him outside of his full-time job it just it didn't feel like it was quite worth it to do that investment of the work so that was a decision I I sort of felt it was kind of up to Ben to make because the burden was really on him and I think he felt a huge relief honestly even just like taking the sign up off of the site and just realizing like our business has gone in such a different direction and it's okay to say goodbye to this chapter. And so it felt good. And I think that was really important is, can we stand behind this decision? Does it feel good? Does it release a certain, you know, energetic burden? And it really did. And so um, we felt good at the end of the day uh, for us, that that was the right decision.
0: I'm struck by how much respect I hear in that. You know, there's the respect that you have for Ben that this was um, something that he knew really well, and what like ha- had, you know, that that um, that transition work would have been on on him and your respect for that, and then his, and also sort of both of your respect for your emotions and recognizing those as valid and worth prioritizing and. Cause I think some people would say, oh, well, I'll, you know, I'll get a lot of money from this. So, you know, screw my feelings. Like, you know, just have to suck it suck it up and do it. Like, I mean, the the market for even small SaaS companies like Doki, like like just for content, like how much was Doki like making when you decided to shut it down?
1: Um, I mean, Ben would certainly ha- have a better sense of the numbers at, at that point that we made the decision. I mean, certainly the pandemic did have. big impact. Uh, And we'd already kind of stopped doing any new feature development, even maybe the year before the pandemic hit. So I would say, you know, at its height, maybe $50,000 in a year. Um, So we had some months that were like 4k, maybe 5k. And so by the time we shut it down, it was like 2,500 to 2,000 you know, like nothing to sneeze at in terms of it was very low maintenance and, you know, covers our mortgage and expenses, like that's awesome. But there is that mental load that's required there that you're kind of always thinking about that uptime or you're thinking about how long, how long can we go not adding any features and not doing anything to really kind of improve or support or even do any marketing. So in some ways it sort of felt like there was a a time limit on how long we could get away with just, Mm. just letting it kind of simmer in the in the background and not give it its full attention and so it didn't feel good in that way that it 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 did have this sort of energetic burdensome feeling and so um, respect is is absolutely huge like um, you know both Ben and I are incredibly autonomous like we have always kind of worked almost like two separate founders under the same brand umbrella. So even when we partnered up, we still very much had our own projects, our own clients. And there's a lot of trust there with like, Ben and I are very different people, very different types of projects, very different things that light us up. And so, you know, Ben has higher anxiety than I do. And and when we first launched Okie, I know the feeling of always being on and having to answer those customer support questions and I think it it takes a bigger toll on him than it, than it might other people and so that has to be factored in like what's the point of building uh these like software and the and these businesses that support our lives when it's just adding to our, our daily stress like that's that's not the point right um, so I think for both of us it, it does really matter like what kind of life are we building for ourselves and if are we building something that just feels like, another job, but we just kind of built our own jail. Like that's, that's not really fun. So I think we have a lot mm. of understanding and respect for, yeah, what kind of life are we building and and ideally reducing stress and not adding to it. So that, that was really important to me that he felt really good about that enclosure and, and didn't feel like, oh, this was a failure or, you know, it didn't go the way we wanted. For me, I'm like, holy crap, we learned An epic crap ton. (laughs) You know, we just, it was just absolute, you know, entrepreneurship school on steroids. Like, you know, you've just learned so many different parts from your customer research and the technical capacity and all the decisions that once you've done it once, and then it's almost too late, like the wheels are in motion and you've already, there's already like technical debt as soon as you've started. Um, It's a wonderful learning opportunity. and, And part of us wishes we'd tried it on something small, but my gosh, the learning has been incredible. So I don't, I don't regret any of it. And and I don't think he does either. Um, You know, it's the reason he has the job that he does now. Uh, He's, he's just like both of us, I think are just highly skilled people that are going to adapt whatever happens. Like, okay, cool. That was an awesome chapter next. (laughs) What's next. You know, you guys are incredibly
0: emotionally intelligent and (laughs) attuned And Thank you. I mean, that, that, yeah, I mean that you take that kind of focus is is really, I think, remarkable and and really commendable. Um, and you know, so so after we had we had talked last fall, I guess, um, you guys were still kind of you were unclear on whether you were going to shut it down or you mm-hmm. were going to sell it. And I just tweeted out if anybody was interested in buying a SaaS. I think I said it had like two point four. KMRR. Um, and I got so many messages after that, but I actually just got another one last week and I got one like three months ago, like the market for really like really tiny SaaS companies is just, just bonkers. And I, I think it's so amazing that you prioritized how like not just the money, but how you felt about it. Now, of course that the notion course is making 45,000 a month and Ben has a full-time job. Like that sort of makes it a little bit easier to make decisions that are not just guided by the financials. I imagine.
1: Definitely. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that that was a part of it. It's just, okay, we're not, we don't have to make a a purely financial decision right now. So what's going to feel, yeah, what's going to feel the best. Um, and I guess, yeah, I guess I didn't realize that uh, maybe not everybody is as driven that way, but I'm definitely a a very feelings driven person. And I know we've uh, talked about this a little bit with, with the sort of, um, you know, likely being an ADD or ADHD founder. And just, I, I didn't, realized before. I think how much of my decision-making around how I've shaped my business has been like, I've talked about it in terms of alignment and, and, you know, values driven and that sort of thing. But I think part of it is I cannot muster up the energy to do stuff I'm not super freaking stoked about. So um, I I do kind of factor that into all my decisions. Like I'm never gonna design services that I'm gonna be resentful of as soon as I'm designing them. It's like, if I already know, I'm gonna be resentful doing all these calls. Like I I just cannot make that, that service available. So I do think I've gotten pretty tuned into like, all right, what's the stuff that lights me up and how do I craft my offers so that I can be totally shining and excited about them. Cause that that's just, I guess, how I move through the world. It seems like you combine this incredible self-awareness
0: about what energizes you and prioritizing what energizes you with this huge sense of responsibility for the users of what you have created.
1: Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to think so. I mean, um, you know, one one of the things that happened when we first launched Doki was that people were signing up for it and then they weren't shipping, right? It's like, mm. if I've learned anything now, like the time that it takes to actually launch a course. And I know you've had, you know, um, episodes with Colleen about this, of, of just what it really takes to really grow an online course and actually make it a sustainable living. And so people would would sign up thinking the tech was going to solve that for them. And they're all like ready to go. And they they pick the technology well before they have their content created. And it didn't feel good that there were people paying us a monthly thing, and they had never shipped a course yet. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I did was like, well, we need to get people shipping faster. How do I do this? And I ended up creating a course that was run your learning launch. That was trying to get people to like, get the shitty first draft of your course out as soon <laughs> as possible, right? Like co-create it with people. I'm a huge, huge believer in co-creating products with your people. They're going to tell you what they want. They tell you what they need. And then the words that they use in those sessions, in those live calls that you're doing with people, that's exactly what shapes your, your sales pages and stuff. So um, I I'm just a big fan of working with people. People on this stuff and not just, you know, working in secret for six months building a thing and then you know putting it out into the world like we know that it just it just doesn't work that way so um, yeah I think I do carry a huge huge respect for for the users that are signing up for my thing. It is a responsibility I do not take lightly. And so even right now with, with the course, I'm, I've been working for six months on the new curriculum. It's like, where can I look at all the places that people are stumbling? And maybe we overwhelm new new people that are coming in, like going, oh my gosh, this course is so big. And then they, they get scared and they run away and then they don't complete the course. Like it does matter to me Uh, not just that they complete it, but they actually do experience some kind of transformation through that process. So like, how can I improve the learning outcomes? How can I design this better? Um, Like, I can't, help myself like maybe that's partly a a bit of perfectionism but it's like I want this to be a really epic experience for them and be really memorable and in a way that's my marketing right it's like other people sharing with other people their experience of the course to me that feels way better and way easier than like chucking a bunch of money into ads and and just like getting it in front of people it's like no I want the users to be so excited about it that they are shouting it from the rooftops and, and getting people in the door so yeah that that matters for sure. It's so it, like interesting you're you're talking about like building collaboratively with
0: people. And you know, I like I'm a huge advocate of <laughs> talking to people and talking to customers. Um but I never really built in public so to speak until a couple uh. of months ago. Um when I was writing my book and you know to what you said about you know getting early feedback from people and building it with them. Um, that, I mean, that, that has been incredibly like a transformative experience and it's, it's really remarkable when you combine that combination of, as you said, something that you are super stoked about with mm. other people who are stoked about it. Like, you know, to, like to, to kind of, um, you know, talk a little bit about being like, you know, ADHD founder. So like for so far, just to, to give us sort of a little bit of context. So like I was diagnosed with ADD at 11, which I guess they don't diagnose people with anymore because apparently like they were only diagnosing girls with it or something. So now everything is all under ADHD. Um, and you sort of are, are recently um, exploring like whether you're ADHD and so, but like on this, this combination of, you know, working on something you're really passionate about. And then in the course of working uh, on it in public, finding other people who are really passionate about it, who help you improve it. Like, I feel like that puts my hyper focus in this insane overdrive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And how do you, how do you control that? I'm so, I'm so curious kind of what I don't, (laughs) I like
0: yesterday, I was so annoyed that I had to stop working and make dinner. I was like, can't I just work for like 48 hours straight? Like, and
2: which is like, not
0: like, I like my work-life balance is a lot better than it used to be. Like, but I just like, it's so it's like painful when I'm really interested in something because So, like, yesterday I was, like, working on the book, like, and it was just, I was so, like, so fired up about what I was working on. And then I was, like, okay, actually, like, we need to, we need to eat, like, (laughs) and I have, you know, we have a family and, like, my husband was mowing the lawn and, like, you know, so I was, like, okay, I need to, like, go to the grocery store, like, I need to shift gears, but, like, the whole time I was there, like, you know, yes, I bought like lettuce and yogurt and whatever else we needed, but like my brain was still like writing. Somewhere else. <laughs> like my brain like was writing. And I think, you know, to what you said about how you and Ben work very like autonomously, like Matias and I work together for the most part. And I think this gets frustrating sometimes when I'm still thinking about something else, but I don't give any like outward signals of that. <laughs> I'm just like a little bit quiet. And like, he like talks
1: to me and like, I just- Don't nodding as though you're listening, but you're writing in your head. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like I don't even acknowledge it or like, I seem like I'm listening. And then he asks me 10 minutes later, like about what he had told me about. And I'm like, what, like, this is new. And he's like, seriously, like, um, yes. Yeah. Like the hyper-focus can be amazing, but also kind of
1: detrimental at the same time. Cause if I have to do anything else, I'm just Frankie. (laughs) Oh, I I definitely, I definitely relate to this. And I think this was, this was one of the, the signs, like I, I thought, well, I couldn't possibly have ADHD because like I've been self-employed for 12 years and I I have a successful business and I I get things done. And, you know, I I sort of had a lot of misconceptions around what it meant to be or have ADHD because my sister has ADHD too. And she is like the poster child of what what you think of when you think of ADHD Uh, and and very hyperactive, super distracted, extremely extroverted, just like a million thoughts, like interrupting other thoughts. And and I was like, oh, okay, that's what ADHD looks like. It, It was very distinct. And so because I get things, done, I sort of thought, um, I just had a different uh, perception of it. And I realized that the hyper focused binges that I go on that were like, oh, that explains why like, it can be really hard to tear myself away from, from the screen, and it almost becomes borderline obsessive, and it can be really difficult to manage. So so that is one of the the signs I started to be like, oh, it it always happens in these super inconsistent bursts, right? very Mm -hmm very wildly inconsistent. Can't and I, I've it. always Yeah, like what Frig, if you just had a dial you could you could you could turn that on when you needed to, but oh my gosh. So I, I can relate to that just uh it's inconvenient. <laughs> and yet it's also the thing that helps us kind of push forward and get things done. And it's a wonderful thing when it's there, but um it can happen at the detriment of other parts of our lives. So that's that's definitely something that I struggle with for sure.
0: You know, I like I relate so hard to that because I can't possibly you know have eighty AD- ADHD because you get so much done. Like when I was in college, I think there was like a running joke about how many jobs and side projects I had at any given time. Like, (laughs) I think it was like, I had, it was like six, like I had a part-time job. I had an internship. I had like volunteering. I had like all of these like side projects of my own going on, like, um, and, but when I, so when I was diagnosed as a kid, like it was very much presented as I had this deficit of focus. Mm -hmm. And then I had to overcome that deficit of focus. And then like, that was it. And like, I, so I was never like really in therapy or any sort of treatment. Like I was taught how to manage that, like calendars and like planners became a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I was, this was when I was in elementary school. So when I was in middle school, I was supposed to have like, you know, a tutor and like somebody who like worked with me on it. And like a, a plan, they call it a 504 plan in the U S, but I never actually had it because my grades were too high. Huh. Um, I and it was think
1: you need the support, right?
0: Right. Cause it was like, oh, like if you, you know, if you have this, like if you have this deficiency, like she's overcome the deficiency, if she's getting A's and B's, so there's no problem here. And I didn't, it really, for me, it wasn't only until the last like six months or a year mm-hmm. that I started understanding all of these other facets of it that like, it's not just that sometimes I have trouble focusing on tasks I don't want to do. Like there's all of these other things like you, you know, that there's the hyper-focus you mentioned. There's the, like the perfectionism that you touched on earlier, you know, there are those kind of, you know, everyone's experience of it is different, Mm
2: -hmm. but like
0: I, there's just so many things that like, I thought were me things that were just kind of weird about me. And then it turns out there's all these other people who are weird like me.
1: And <laughs> oh, to, to read other people's descriptions and you go, are you kidding me? Like, that's a that's a thing. I- I'm not alone. Or like, I, th- I thought it was just a family quirk. And then you're like, oh, or is it that actually a good chunk of my family also, you know, like sisters diagnosed. And when you look at the behaviors, you're like, oh, yeah, that, like, it would explain why our family kind of operates this way. And, and, as you know, the more you start to meet people, you're like, oh, okay, there's there's maybe a reason too that, um, and I don't know if you if you feel this too, but that for example people with ADHD seem drawn to my work or drawn to my my style, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think in some ways you get attracted to di- different people's communication styles. And I realized like in certain calls that I would have with people that were very energizing. I didn't realize this at the time. It's almost like, you know, when you, it's like, once you see it, you start to see it everywhere of all the people that I connect with that had ADHD, that I didn't know. I was like, oh my gosh, it explains why when we get on a call, neurons are firing and we're all over the map and we're just like changing gears all like constantly. And it just feels like this creative spark is just like going and going. And, and it's incredible. And it's a very different experience with someone whose brain doesn't work that way. And I. I started to clue in, I'm like, oh, maybe there's a reason. <laughs> and, and then when you start to look at the behaviors, I'm like, okay, like it would explain a lot. <laughs> um, you know, and, and you start to kind of look backwards and be like, oh, yeah, all those behaviors start to kind of click into place. And, and you see actually things with a new lens. And, and when I look at past behaviors, and maybe ways I've really, really judged myself. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I just I didn't realize Um, you know, and I think for me, a big part of that is, is workaholism in a way. Like I thought Mm. I, I really judged myself for being like, oh, I'm like a workaholic, a workaholic. And I thought, yes. And like, it's not so black and white like that. I am very driven by the work that I do because I've so carefully crafted work that I don't hate and so I've designed work that I love and I'm getting to connect with people and ideas get to form and I'm always doing new things every day so of course like it's it's feeding that dopamine I'm like yes like I love this and so it is really difficult to to shut off work and so I think I carried a lot of of guilt that I will work on weekends, but I'll also take really long breaks in the middle of the day and go gardening. And and so like, I have found my own ebb and flow. And I I think I was really harsh on myself with some of that stuff. And then I was like, well, what if it's actually okay that my brain is a little more activated than the average person, or, or it just kind of feeds off information differently. And maybe I want to consume more courses at a time than the average person. And so it's just brought up a lot of interesting reflection that I'm seeing behaviors in maybe a different light. And and I actually find I'm being a little more compassionate with myself to be like, hey, is that Marie's personality? Is that ADHD? Is that me coping? Like, it's still very much learning for me. Um, So I'm still kind of just keeping an open mind and just really trying to reflect and notice those behaviors now.
0: You know, the, we are, you know, what's called sort of neurodivergent people living in a neurotypical world. And I think, from, you touched on sort of that that guilt about not having sort of quote unquote, like normal patterns for things Mm -hmm. and ways of thinking about things. And I think unpacking that shame that we don't fit the neurotypical box is so important because I think in, you know, education and kind of maybe in, in like when you're not working for yourself, like neurotypical is the standard and People who don't meet that are kind of just outside of that. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's like this, like we blame ourselves for that, but if instead, you know, we can like find ways to work on the things that we are passionate about and that do energize us, then these like amazing things can be unlocked. And I think like, I have noticed that I tend to find a lot of neurodivergent people (laughs) in the kind of like. Indie SaaS courses, like internet biz totally. world, and I wonder if that's because a lot of us have just felt like we like didn't,
1: maybe,
0: yeah, like we didn't really belong, and like, but like the way to like really bring out like what we are capable of, like, like I I remember when I worked, you know, in bigger companies, like I always I would describe myself like a pin in a pinball machine, like I just always felt like I was just like bouncing around constantly trying to show like what I was capable of and like what I was good at and like what I could do and what I could contribute and that was always like way more and different than whatever the role I was in was supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and it was so frustrating like it was like deeply frustrating you know versus now like you know I can focus on the things that you know sort of with I guess with a little bit of business knowledge right cuz so you yeah. can't just focus on things that don't like <laughs> lead to an income um you know, like, yeah, the things that really energize. And like you've said, how this like managing your own brain in a way is kind of like maybe what attracted you to Notion in the first place and then kind of prompted you to go on this path of making it this amazingly, like I'm so amazed by all the things you build with Notion, like um, (laughs) this tool that like helps you not only steer your brain, but like express it in the way that it wants to be expressed that maybe is not really reflected in other tools.
1: Yeah, it, it's a it's a weird and wonderful thing, but it does feel like this bizarre culmination of all of my uh, weird interests and strengths and like even the fact that it's, it's kind of like a no-code builder of sorts, right? It's like I have a web design background and so I think naturally I'm inclined to build information architecture, but do it beautifully. Like that's what I did for clients. And so, um, and then even like my design thinking background and and how I've studied systems or how I've had to find these productivity systems for myself that worked and the way certain tools, you know, are very opinionated and they, they sort of force you into like, like Asana, for example, everything is a task. Like it sort of forces you into one way of, of thinking, which is great. It's a great task manager, but I'm like, my strategic planning doesn't really fit in there. And how do I connect that to TAT? And everything just kind of felt messy. And um, you know, as someone with ADHD that already, already feels like I'm everywhere all the time, mm. for me, Notion was this place where like suddenly I could see everything that was on my plate in one place in a really easy way. So this ability to like zoom out, zoom in very, very quickly and have it all integrated was just like, oh everything like has come into place <laughs> and it just kind of clicked and I, and I think I was just so passionate and so excited about it it felt like you know I said life was a shit show before notion like I had tried to get to like you said lean on calendars we like find these systems to kind of lean on like a bit of a crutch but there were still some system's pieces missing that notion in a way forced me to build my own in a way that really worked for my brain and I don't think it's a coincidence that just so many of the people <laughs> that have joined the course or that seem really excited about it and get a lot out of it, have also mentioned their own ADHD. Like I literally just saw a message pop up in the forum uh, like 20 minutes ago that said, uh, how they think Notion is just an ADHD friendly tool. I'm like, what an interesting thing that, again, it wasn't even on my radar a year ago or two years ago, I didn't even really think about it. I, didn't, I certainly didn't even remotely suspect that I would have had it. And yet now that I'm aware of it and, I'm seeing more conversations around neurodiversity, really just seeing how Notion gives neurodiverse folks a place to be themselves is kind of cheesy as it sounds like the fact that you can just make it what you want it to be. It can be a personal growth engine. It can be a place where you organize your files, you know, daily journaling, like you name it, whatever you want it to be, it can be a place that inspires you. And so I just, I love to show people like, well, here's how I'm using it for my garden tracking. Here's how you know, <laughs> I just love there's just endless possibilities with it. And I think if you only look at it as a productivity tool, Um, you know, people kind of poo-poo it or they're like, oh, procrastinating on building their setups. And like, you know, people have all sorts of opinions about it, but I actually think it is, it's a tool for managing your emotions just as much as it is as a tool for managing your information. So I find it quite fascinating from a, a tool for making you more mindful about how you work and what you need and just noticing your energy. And I didn't, I didn't know all that stuff wasn't stuff that other people did it's not till showing it to people and they're like holy crap this is the most organized thing I've ever seen in my life and I'm like me are you kidding me because like I see the mess <laughs> behind the scenes right it's like it's it's funny to me the things that um it's only once you know to bring it back to your conversation about sharing in public working in public when you make your thinking visible and you share what you're doing out there that's where I think you start to see what are those spiky points of view that you have, or what are the interesting ways that you approach stuff that people are like, whoa, I didn't even think of it that way? So, yeah, I, I'm curious too in, in you sharing your stuff publicly and doing the writing publicly, like, has anything surprised you that you put out there and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't expect that to, to really land for people? Or, you know, what did you notice in, in your process of, of sharing your stuff publicly?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, um, something that actually has surprised me in the last I've had two people in the last week tell me how the introduction of my book made them completely rethink how they approach other people and how they like didn't even like they didn't realize like the extent of empathy and what it was and and how they could use it and how it could help them be a better um you know, coworker or person, like not just someone Mm -hmm. who's better at making landing pages or making product decisions. And I start out like I, so I, at the, the introduction, I actually originally didn't really have a very good introduction of the book. Like I didn't define empathy very much or anything. And then one of my early readers was like, I think you, I think you need to introduce this a little more. And so I did. And then like, it basically sounds like people are, some people are like reading the first 10 pages and then being like, Whoa, and then like going on this other path, <laughs> and then like, and then they're like, okay, well, when I actually like need to build something, I'll come back here for the scripts. But like, having uh. this, and and you know, like, we've taught like, we've talked a lot about um, like emotional intelligence here, and like, I've had my own journey with there, and like, talking about you know, workaholism, like, is that is that a trait or is that a trauma response? Like it's kind of mm. both like, yeah, <laughs> and like, so that has been a really important journey for me, by the way, if that resonates with anyone that's called the flight response, just Google that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that like, like I have this kind of like this like little dream that like, you know, like people, nobody puts like be more empathetic on their to daily to-do list. Maybe some, maybe you do. I don't, but like nobody really does that. But they put like, you know, get more sales, like write a new landing page, like figure out which features I should build. Like those are the things that come up on people's to-do lists. And so I have this like kind of dream that like in the process of helping people do those things they already want to do that they will become more empathetic in general and learn that this is a skill Mm -hmm. that they can apply, not just to business, but to the rest of their life, because it's been such an important journey for me because it's something that I really didn't really learn, um, until my twenties and, and yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. Yeah. It's been very, like, it's been very soul nourishing for me. Um, the, the you, process of writing and sharing? Yeah. I think like I, in, in a very unexpected way and,
1: yeah,
0: you know, kind of talking about um, ADHD. And so it sounds like what you're doing, like you sound very much like a systems thinker and you have built this sort of digital system that reflects your mental system. And yeah. in the process of doing so, you're helping people realize that you know, they could build off of that, to build something that reflects their mental system. Yes. And in, like, and you're you're helping them really like blossom into into expressing their thinking. And what I'm doing, like I have I have had feedback from people who who have said they are ADHD or autistic, and and they have said that like, this is very, very different for them for I mean for those two mm. groups for very different reasons. Like I've had people tell me, like, I don't think I'm capable of doing this because, you know, as you said, there's a kind of that stereotype of people who are ADHD that they like, you know, talk over over the people, like can't stay on a topic, like, you know, just all of that, which like, I mean, I think if we weren't doing a podcast right now, like we would be excitedly talking over (laughs) each other right now.
1: Like I'm like, I was wondering, (laughs) I'm like really holding back, um, which is exhausting right it's like <laughs> takes a lot of energy to like tone it down be normal <laughs> oh i'm gonna go jump on the trampoline after this like <laughs> <laughs> um
0: but like for me it's like this weird thing because because i didn't learn like this either wasn't built into me or i didn't learn it as a kid like i've had to really focus on learning how to like listen to people
2: You're so good at
0: it. It became (laughs) a hyper focus thing for me. Like, so I feel like when I'm listening to people, like learning, like I have to like, I think it's why people are like, oh, this made me realize these things about empathy. I didn't realize because I had to like learn empathy and listening at a level that most people don't have to. Like I had to really understand it. Like I had to really dive deep into it because I just didn't have that like, I didn't, I was not born with that feature built in. So, and then, but like, I think it kind of became this thing that like I hyper-focus on. And so like when I'm talking to someone, like I'm just like, I'm like completely submerging myself into them and like exploring their brain. And I think, you know, talking about like systems thinkers, like that's something I love is like Getting to understand the system of somebody else's head and like getting oh, to like poke around in all the little corners and be like, oh, why is what's going on here? Like, wait, like what do we got going on here? Like, and it I compare
1: like- it to like <laughs> looking in their underwear drawer. You're just like you get to see like it's very personal, right? And people are often like embarrassed or they feel a lot of shame because like their their space is really messy. But I love that, right? Just I love to kind mess. Of get, oh, looking- it's so beautiful. and And I will say like in the call that we had with you, like I was so struck by how intently it felt like you were listening. I was like, I, it was like almost disarming. Like when I got off, I was like, I can't think of the last time that someone actually was just there to listen. Like there was no, um, agenda there. Like you were, you were really just there to be a helpful ear. And it was just, uh, quite impressive. I have to say, I was just like, Holy crap. Michelle is an incredible listener. I was really blown away. And so I love that you got nerdy about listening. (laughs) Like that's so nerdy. I love it.
0: Well, I mean, I grew up being, I think the thing, the number one thing I heard growing up was Michelle, you never listen. Like you're not oh, listening. Wow. You don't listen. Like and and like, I have found that, complex. <laughs> that I have found that the things that I'm really bad at, like if I get over that, and then like I will like intensely research it, and it will become a huge focus so for me like I like so like in college so I studied international affairs and economics and I remember in one of my first classes one of the professors asked who knew what like Bretton Woods was and you know I'm from New England and I was like I know that's a ski resort but like I don't know anything else and like you know it's it's the anyway the post-war monetary system that was set up after the war basically to prevent another war economically but I didn't like know that. And I felt like really embarrassed. And I ended up like really diving into the topic to the point where it was not only my thesis topic, but for like two years, I wrote papers about related things in other classes, even when I wasn't required to. And now I have this, like, just all of this knowledge about like, monetary relations in Europe, specifically focused on the US and Germany, like between like 1958 and like 1973, really intensely on the 71 to 73 period. And like, I, like it's not particularly like for what I do, it's not really useful information, but like, kind of like, I I feel like that's very similar to how I got into doing listening and interviews because because I was so bad at it because I didn't know what I was doing because I was like I felt embarrassed that I didn't know what was going on or like people had made me feel like I was deficient in that like I, I think this is where that like that hyper focus comes in it's like once you like uh-huh. latch onto a topic like you can't get
1: your teeth out of it even if you oh, like m- just wanted to be painfully relatable <laughs> Uh, I'm. It, I love it that you brought this up too, because I I think I've I've done this throughout my my career too. Where it's like, oh my gosh, like public speaking. This is like I'm terrible at this. I'm so afraid of it. It's like must hire three different coaches and take five courses and like read every book. You know, like just go down these crazy rabbit holes to go to such an extreme to work on a skill that you know I was maybe like not, not that great at it. It wasn't terrible, but just didn't feel like a strength. And I think I've often felt self-conscious of, is, is it a waste of time when I should be like focusing on my real strengths? And so mm. I, I just think that's so funny. There's, there's obviously a trigger there around feeling incompetent or like, I hate that feeling stupid or feeling like yeah. something I'm really bad at is, is preventing me from succeeding in business. And I, you know, I've shared before a little bit about like fear of being on video and fear of being on stage and so these are all things I've obsessively worked on and you know I'll share like a a super vulnerable uh, moment from not not that long ago but there was there was someone who shared with me they spoke with someone who had taken the course and uh, I was an older woman I don't know when she took the course but maybe she took it like early on in the the course building journey. It's definitely gone through a number of iterations, but she, she was like angry. She was like, um, oh my gosh, she goes so fast. She's all over the place. She needs to read about adult learning. Like she's a terrible facilitator. And and like, if I showed you my notion goals page, it's like being a masterful facilitator is literally on my, my big (laughs) visionary goals. And I was like, oh my God, am I, is this just like a skill I am, I am bad at? Like it knocked me on my ass. And I, I questioned everything. I was like, oh my God, what's going on. And, and in the same week, I literally had someone say that my sessions were the thing that they look forward to every week. And it was so weird to get this, like the most negative (laughs) criticism I've ever gotten and the most positive. And it was in that same week that I had actually discovered, um, that I started to realize I probably had ADHD. And I realized that my presentation style and my um, exploratory show you the possibilities, It's, it's quite different than say someone who might be a little more neurotypical, a little more instructional in style, I know that my vibe, it it doesn't jive for everyone, but it really works well for people that have ADHD. And so that's where I was like, oh, crap. So hiring a course coach, a curriculum designer, a learning advocate, like I went all deep and I was like, I'm going to learn about facilitation. I'm going to learn about teaching. I'm going to learn about learning design. Like, how can I make this experience so good that like nobody could ever say anything like that, you know? (laughs) And like, fair enough, if someone like it doesn't resonate with them, I totally get that. But it just it just felt, uh, holy crap, like, is this is this like a giant blind spot that I'm not seeing? And, uh, you know, after talking to a number of students, a number of people, it was like, no, like, you know. This is someone who's not very comfortable with computers. This is someone that like, d- it doesn't make sense for this type of person to be using Notion. Like, I don't think Notion is the right tool for everyone. And I don't think my instructional style is, is for everyone. And I'm okay with that. I've made peace with that. And there's room to, to improve that. <laughs> so I definitely feel you on like, whoo, rabbit hole. Here we go. Let's work on this skill. Cause like n- no one can criticize this again. Like I will go all in, <laughs> just watch me. Have
0: you come across the term rejection-sensitive dysphoria? I have. (laughs) I, so it's this term for how, I don't, I I don't have a good way of explaining it, but like it's for how painful like that kind of criticism can be and how it can either like prevent people from launching something in the first place Mm. or when you get that criticism, it is highly motivating. (laughs) Yeah. But like, it's all encompassing. Yeah. Like it's and and you said that somebody else that same week said how much they loved your course yet. You keep ruminating
1: on the bad, ruminated and obsessed
0: over Mm -hmm. and then hyper-focus on that. And then go into this mode of like wanting to make sure that never, ever happens again. Mm -hmm. And it's like this, kind of extreme version of loss aversion yeah. um, where, you know, we're so afraid of, of, of losing something like of losing that in this case, like that person's um, you know, like their positive feedback on the course or their, their positive experience with it rather than focusing on the people who already had a positive experience and making Mm -hmm. it better for the people who was, because like, it's like, do you actively like frame your course or some of your courses as being for ADHD people or like neurodiverse I, people?
1: I don't. And and again, part of this is um, I'm not officially diagnosed. And, and, you know, again, I'm still learning about this stuff. And so mm-hmm. I partly feel like a little bit of imposter complex ar- around this whole topic too. And I, I want to be very careful Same. around, you know, like <laughs> just, just being mindful about how I talk about it. And, and um, everyone's like, you know, experience claiming,
0: is different of it.
1: it like, totally. Yeah. Totally. And so I just want to be very careful about it. And it is something I've I've considered of like, maybe it would actually like the the number of people that have watched the, I have a YouTube video where I'm teaching my sister who has ADHD, how to use notion and the, the positive feedback and the people being like, oh my gosh, it was so nice to see normal people like Normal people like me, you know, other people with ADHD, just just going through this experience, and um, and it, it did make me wonder, like, well, hey, knowing that this is the case, and knowing that it seems to attract these people, should I go in that direction? Um, so it's been on my mind to some something to maybe mention, and and even kind of tease out a little bit, like in my welcome sequence when I'm introducing myself. I'm starting to like try out using some of the language, and I will say I've gotten an incredible response. Anytime I've talked about it, it's been really, really positive. So uh, I don't mention it, but it is something I'm like, maybe like, and should I get a diagnosis to, to be, does it matter? I don't really know. Um, I'm not really sure what the, what the protocol is there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean,
0: like I have a diagnosis, but like, I, I feel like I don't really understand it very well. Like, cause I just kind of accepted it as this thing that was just wrong with me that I had to control. And then like, that was kind of it. Um, and I like, so in my book, actually in the original newsletters, like I talk about having ADHD and how, you know, focusing on people and, and, and listening and like all that, like were really difficult for me because of that. And I got so much positive feedback on it, but then I got it into the book and I, like one of my reviewers was like, you know, your experience of ADHD is not a universal one. And there's like, and they were saying there's kind of a difference between like writing it in a newsletter where people know you and they start from a point of, um, kind of this sort of familiarity, like that they, they trust that you come from a good place, but like writing it in a book, people won't know me, people won't know, like, and, and even if I say this is only my experience of it, like someone who has had a different experience of the diagnosis or, or like doesn't like that they have the diagnosis doesn't like, you know, they have made to been made to feel less than because of it, or, or whereas I think both of us kind of tend to view it as this, like this thing that we could steer and
1: Hmm.
0: bring out, like bring out our true selves, so to speak. Um, like, so I ended up taking it out. Um, but it also feels so relevant. Like it's like, it feels like this piece of information that people need to know. That's like, Yes. I was known for not being able to listen to anything. So then I focused on it to the point of it being like this seems so relevant skill. Like it feels <laughs> yeah. like necessary. Part of the story. Yes. And the same way that like, and so I found a way to like, kind of tell that story that I had to listen, like learned how to do this, but like without using the diagnosis, but like, hmm part of me really so like maybe it's like something I can do in a talk or something like that right like there's not every like there's different forums not every medium needs to yeah and also where I can kind of explain and if someone has like a question of like well that's not my experience of it then we can talk about it afterwards and they can know that I'm coming from a good I don't I don't know I I also feel conflicted because I don't want to like I can only speak for my own experience like I am And again, maybe, again, this is maybe an ADHD thing where it's like, I haven't hyper-focused on ADHD itself, so therefore I cannot speak about it.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, the hyper-focusing of watching all the videos about ADHD and like, oh, it's just, it's, it's so funny looking at all the memes. I I was so dismissive of ADHD because I was like, oh, well, come on, that's all of us for every single meme. And then at some point I was like, wait a second, like, is that all of us? And yeah it it took some digging and I was like wait a second here
0: there's 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 some (laughs) some tweets about this that I find myself referencing um and it was either people with ADHD need to stop being so relatable or I need to go to the doctor exactly (laughs) exactly but I think you know my so this is super fun talking and relating to you and like realizing you know they were both not weird. We're we're, we're weird together. Exactly. But my, the reason I really wanted to talk to you about this here um, is because I think people who are neurodivergent, who don't fit the box, like tend to feel like we're not as capable of things as other people, or we have been made to feel that we're not as capable. And I hear from people that are like, I don't know if I could run a business. Like I can't, you know, like if, if, if I can't focus on one set thing, like, and I'm all over the place, like I can't possibly run a business. And I think what I like to show and like what you show amazingly is that not only can you run a business, if you have ADHD or, or any other, like, cause I, like I notice all these like people in the indie community, like, there are people like people who just don't fit the box. Like they have, they have disabilities. Oh, they have chronic health conditions. They are autistic. Like whatever those things are, like they have been able to find a home in this place. And like, you can run a business if you're ADHD. Like you, like, you, like I, I present Absolutely. myself, um, as evidence and I, and I feel like you are
1: evidence of that too. Absolutely. And I think a big part of it comes down to you have to know yourself really well, like you have to know your triggers, you have to know um, how you're incentivized, how you best operate so that you can either get the support that you need. Or again, you can design your products and services in a way that um, even though, for example, I've been a generalist for a decade, and it's really only in the last year and a half, two years that I, I was like, I'm going all in on Notion. Like I see an opportunity mm. here. Like let's let's just try this. I'm going to see like what's the worst that could happen? I make I make some money for for this <laughs> chapter, and I get known as the Notion person, and then I can like flip the chapter and, and do the next thing. I've been a generalist so long. I was like, whatever. Let's just give it a try. And what I, again? What I love about it is my days can be so freaking different. Like I am not doing the same thing every day, Mm -hmm. even though I'm doing one thing. And so, you know, it's about finding traction with that one thing. But if you can design your business in such a way that you're still getting, you know, that dopamine hit or whatever it is that you need, you got to know yourself well enough to know, hey, I really thrive with routine, or I really thrive with days that look very different. And then getting someone to support you on your team, like maybe you have a small team, for me hiring my direct my uh you know started with a virtual assistant who is now my you know director of operations and having her is no doubt a humongous part of why I've been able to do the kind of growth that I've done. Like mm-hmm. I would have been scrambling, wearing all these different hats. So to have someone whose focus is entirely operations at all the nitty gritty, like export of CSVs, any of the detail work, I'm like, let's just be honest. Marie is not the details person. I've accepted <laughs> this. And now I have someone who is a details person who freaking loves that stuff. And the stuff that makes me cringe is the stuff that makes her day. And like, what better... Like that's all you can ask for, I think. So um, even if you're just getting support in a really, really tiny way, you know, again, there's just so many opportunities, I think, to get creative with the way you design your business, that it is supporting you. But you do have to, to know yourself really well, I think, to know how to do that. And what I, you know, ADHD, the first
0: two words of it are attention deficit, And I feel like what you show (laughs) is that it's not like, it it doesn't have to be this thing that's deficient about you. It's just,
1: just a little inconsistent. It can be like, it can be, it
0: can, (laughs) if you sort of steer it and give it support, like it can be this amazing thing that you bring to the world. Like, it's not a deficiency.
1: Like, I feel like
0: that's just kind of like the message I can give to like 11 year old me. Like, it's not a deficiency. Like you just have to help it come out.
1: Well, and even the um, hyperactivity, like, uh, like you've said before, like the phrase, it just, it doesn't carry a whole lot of positive connotations. And so No, it's kind the of whole thing sounds very negative. It, it uh, it, yeah, we're, we're off. Like there's something broken with us versus, yeah. um, hunter gatherer brain. Like, different types of brains I think evolved for different purposes and you know we all we have our own <laughs> incredible use cases like I know you mentioned in other episodes the ability to form connections between really disparate stuff very very quickly oh my gosh In companies to have that kind of strategic person who can really see those connections there's no doubt that that each of us kind of can, can plug in somewhere and, and we can really shine in different ways but it, it's it's tricky like you said if we are uh, neurodivergent in a neurotypical world, it might mean that we might have to take the initiative on that and, uh, and take charge in different ways and and kind of carve our own path. But then when we do like other people seeing like, Hey, like, it's not just me.
0: Like, you know, you mentioned the, like the Danny Donovan's ADHD comics. I don't know if you've seen those, like, I'm so appreciative that she's so open about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just, I, I think because we have been made to feel deficient or different, like we, you know, I, I know I tended to like hold this in and I realized that even like most of my best friends didn't know I had been diagnosed as a kid until a couple of years ago. Cause I just never talked about it. I just like accepted it, this thing that was wrong with me and like, whatever, like we don't need to talk about it, but then we talk about it and it doesn't actually, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be like, it can, it can really bring whatever our uniqueness is into the world.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping it, it's sort of becoming a little bit more destigmatized and it, on Twitter. And it just feels like I'm hearing more about it. And people maybe are getting a little more comfortable talking about it. And even it, it seems like things that therapists um, maybe wouldn't recognize before, like it's starting mm. to become a little bit more known. And so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, by sharing some of my own honest insights that, uh, that it, it does help destigmatize it. I think the more people you know, like you and I talking about it, I do think it just kind of opens up up the doors a little bit. So, if we can be part of that, then you know, yay! If it if it helps one other person even just kind of uh, embrace their their inner weirdness a little bit, then we've done our our duty.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> or embrace the weirdness of you know their loved ones too.
1: Find your weirdos. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good note to end on today. It has been. So fun talking to you, Marie. I feel yeah, like, I feel like we, we, we've gone on quite we, like we normally run half an hour and we're, we're quite over that, but I'm okay with it. I, this is so fun. I'm so yeah. grateful that you yeah. came on. And so if people are curious about your courses or about you, where can they uh, find out more?
1: Yeah, you can check out my website is Um, You'll be able to to find the course on there too. That's notionmastery.com. Pretty active on Twitter. That's that's probably where I do most of my chit chat about business and founder life and uh, ADHD and all that sort of thing. So at Marie Poulin on Twitter. And if you're curious about more of the the more personal behind the scenes stuff uh, and plants and gardening, you can check me out on
2: Instagram too. So Awesome. Thank you so much, Marie. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really fun. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains who has a nice personality. Dave from ReCut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Bright Bits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan. Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, Megamaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nucy Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsy, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenout LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Conbini, Arvid Kahl, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.